Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas, and I love trees. Find your happy place, wherever that is. Maybe your happy place is with certain people, friends or family. Maybe your happy place is that special restaurant, that ramen shop with a table by the window that always fogs up when it's raining. Maybe your happy place is somewhere out in nature, a quiet forest surrounded by life, a mountaintop with the most expansive views. For a lot of you, your happy place is going to be on a beach somewhere, sweeping white sands, turquoise blue waters, the tide gently lapping at your toes. This serene sea scene is incomplete, though, without slender, stretching palm trees bobbing their fronds in that salty breeze. And not just any palm trees. There's 2,600 species of palm trees, but I bet you're picturing just one species in particular, the coconut tree. The coconut tree is synonymous with a tropical getaway, an exotic summer paradise. It's October now. For some folks around the Northern Hemisphere, it's already peak autumn. For others, fall is likely just around the corner. As much as I love fall, I know there are those who wish it could be summer 365 days a year. This episode is for those people. Get comfortable, find a spot where you can lay down and close your eyes as you prepare for my chillest episode yet. And if you fall asleep, that's okay. I hope you get the rest you deserve. We're going to capture those warm vibes one more time as we learn the history of this iconic feature of island time. Now, some of you may be shocked by something I just said. I know in my head when I think of palm trees, my mind defaults to coconut trees. But you heard me right, there's only one species of coconut tree amongst 2,600 other palm tree species. That's the first testament to how influential this tree is. All these palm trees can be found in the palm tree plant family, Aracaceae. There's a lot of diversity in this palm tree family. For those of us in the U.S., we're going to find palm trees most easily in the states of Florida and California. At a glance, these trees may all look pretty similar, but if you take a second to get a closer look, you'll notice some differences. Overall form, what the trunk looks like, how the palm fronds are shaped. It would definitely be difficult to remember all of them, but you can at least tell that they're different. Of all the palm trees aside from the coconut, the most culturally influential is the date palm. Dates are a historically significant food source, and anytime palm fronds are mentioned in Judeo-Christian lore, they're talking about the date specifically. Within the palm family, we find the lonely little genus called Cocos. Within that genus is a single species, Cocos nucifera. The genus name Cocos, as well as the cocoa part of coconut, actually comes from an old Portuguese word meaning head or face. It got this name from the fact that coconuts have those three holes in the husk, that make it look like it has two eyes and a mouth. This is of course a more modern name. The various island populations who have known this tree long before the white man showed up called it all sorts of names. Most of those names reference the fact that it looks like it has a face. 
or it references all the ways the coconut provides for them. That species name, Nucifera, comes from Latin roots meaning nut-bearing, which also caps off the coconut, common name. It's the nut with a face on it. This brings up a good question. What kind of fruit is a coconut? Well, I can tell you it's not a nut. Scientifically, it is classified as a droop, which in layman terms is a stone fruit, like a peach or a cherry. Slow down there, Thomas. This looks nothing like either of those fruits. Let me lay out some anatomy for you. The fleshy exterior that we eat off of peaches or cherries is the outside of the coconut that we can see. When the coconut is unripe, it's green and smooth, but it turns brown and hairy when it's fully ripe. I used to think that those were two different kinds of coconut, but not so. Take your coconut and chop into it with a machete. You'll find a hard shell and then an open cavity on the inside. For those unripe green coconuts, the cavity is filled with water, and on the ripe brown ones, you'll find this white, meaty substance. And you might be thinking, where's the seed? That hard shell you crack through is the outside of the seed. That good stuff in the cavity is the nutritious material that feeds the plant embryo. Unless it feeds us first, that is. So I guess that all makes sense, and now we have a little better understanding of what a coconut is. But what about the rest of the tree? That palm tree trunk looks nothing like the temperate zone trees we're familiar with, like oaks or maples. And that's because palm trees are closer in evolution to the grass in our front yard than the trees that shade our house. All those forest trees just got so busy forming these complex and diverse structures with branches and whatnot. Meanwhile, the coconut tree just stayed by the water, kept it simple. And that's a key point of distinction. Stems of trees usually have multiple development points. Terminal buds at the tip and axillary buds growing outwards. Instead of all this, coconuts just have one terminal bud right at the very top. Get this, that single point of growth, it's called the cabbage. But it's because of the lack of axillary buds that these trees don't have branches or even much taper. Just a consistent stem from ground to that floppy green top. Let's talk about that floppy green top. When the leaves are young, they're actually whole leaves, but as they mature, they become dissected to the point of being compound, made up of a ton of thin-bladed leaflets. There's actually as many as 200 to 250 leaflets per coconut palm frond. It's what gives those leaves a more feathery appearance. They got a real nice wind sway. Coconut trees will sprout around 13 new leaves each year. They'll hold on to around 30 to 40 leaves at a time, but then they'll drop a batch down every three years and keep on regenerating. Those dropped fronds will leave behind a permanent scar. You may notice a cluster of dark bumps under the crown of the tree. This is actually a good way of telling the age of a coconut tree because this tree doesn't form tree rings. And why would it? Its growing season never ends. All you gotta do is count the scars, divide by 13, that'll get you close enough. Coconut tree science is too chill to be overbearingly exact. And we can't forget those flowers. That's where coconuts get their start. The flower structure on a coconut tree is called a spadix, but I doubt that means anything to you, because it doesn't to me. A spadix is a cluster of corn yellow spikes. To be entirely honest, when a coconut tree is flowering, it looks like someone with blonde hair decided to get dreadlocks. I wouldn't be surprised if the first person to get dreadlocks saw the coconut flowers and thought, yeah. Where do we find 
coconut trees. Right now they're synonymous with beaches wherever beaches are warm, but it wasn't always that way. The short answer for its origin is the Indian coast and Southeast Asia, but that's no fun. Typically tree seeds are dispersed by the wind, the birds, or other animals. But the coconut's too chill to bother anyone, she just rides the waves. It's a very rare adaptation called hydrocory, otherwise known as ocean dispersal. The coconut can float on for 110 days before needing soil. And while that'll get you pretty far, it's not quite long enough to make it to every beach in the world. Just like me, the coconut loves to travel. But at some point, they need the help of people. And once humans got involved in their dispersal, their journey got a whole lot bigger. Believe it or not, humans actually cultivated coconuts in two different locations entirely independent from one another. We've got the population from the islands around Southeast Asia and the population from islands in the Indian Ocean. I decided to check out a map of ocean currents and see if I can figure out where they came from myself. My personal theory is that they originated on the western coasts of mainland Southeast Asia and used hydrocory to float west or float south or wherever else they wanted to go. Despite the split and separate cultivation, coconuts remain one species, just with different varieties and genetic markers. So how did it come to be that humans latched onto the coconut so well? Another nickname for the coconut is the Swiss Army Fruit. Again, a modern nickname. I don't think the native islanders knew what Switzerland was at the time. But it's called that because this fruit serves so many purposes. Food is a big one, always. The white meat of the ripened fruit is super nutritious. It's the highest caloric fruit that humans consume. It's also both high in potassium and fiber. And we don't just eat it like that. We can cook it down to get coconut milk and coconut oil for a variety of other purposes. The green, unripe coconuts hold water on the inside. Biologically speaking, that liquid is present to give it buoyancy so it can float away. And it provides nutrients to keep that plant embryo fed on those long voyages. That water is good for us too. It's high in micronutrients and it hydrates us, which is very important when you're surrounded by so much salt water. Aside from consumption, humans use the coconut tree for a myriad of purposes. The fibers in the fruit can be used to make rope and the hard shell can be used as a container. It can hold whatever you want it to hold, but these days it's often used to hold tropical boozy drinks. There's a super small brewery in Northern Wisconsin called Tribute Tap House. And every Christmas, they make a special beer called Mele Kalikimaka Coconut Porter. And whenever it's released, they'll have a little tapping party at the brew house and serve this island-inspired beer in little coconut shell cups. It's a good distraction from the cold, cold winter up there. It's not just the fruit either. We use the whole tree. The leaves can be used for weaving rugs or clothes or baskets. And the wood of the trunk is used for general construction, like houses or boats. And with this tree providing so much for us, we can fully expect it to receive significance in our religions and mythologies. It's called the Tree of Life in India, the Tree of 1,000 Uses in Malaysia, and the Tree of Heaven in the Philippines. It shows up in many stories, one of which you may know part of if you love the Disney movie Moana. Only part of this story is told in Moana. When the protagonist first rescues the Polynesian demigod Maui, he sings a song about all the ways he's helped mankind one of which was providing coconuts. 
There are a few different versions of this story, but that one is definitely an oversimplification. Once upon a time, there was a princess who lived on an island. Sometimes her name is Hina, sometimes Sina. I'm calling her Sina. Sina was a princess and needed to marry a prince, but the man she was meant to marry was the Prince of Eels. He basically looked like an eel man, and she did not want to marry an eel man. So Sina ran away and took shelter with a fisher god. In some stories, this is the demigod Maui. She told her sad story to the god, and he was moved enough to try and protect her. So he used one of Sina's beautiful black hairs to attract the eel prince, and then cut off his head when he arrived. But as the eel man died, he issued forth a curse. Despite all the men who hate me, including you, you will all one day kiss me and thank me. I will die, but this prediction is eternal. Sina was worried about this curse, but the god could see how the curse could work. He told her to take the head back home to her family, and only then could she destroy it. If she let it touch the ground at any point in her journey, then the curse would come true. But at some point on her journey, Sina apparently forgot the warning and decided to bathe in the river and rest. And as soon as she set the eel's head down and it touched the ground, it sank right in and immediately sprouted into a large tree. A trunk long and skinny like an eel and fruit with a face. This tree became taboo because it was an evil eel prince's curse. But after it was planted, the island experienced a drought and they could not collect enough rainwater to drink. And so the islanders were forced to kiss the fruit's face and thank it. Thus, the curse came true. There's actually a really interesting Easter egg in the movie Moana in reference to this story. The way Maui tells it, he just cut the head off the eel and planted it himself, giving the people coconuts. No curse involved. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that in the end credits, Moana's mother is listed as being named Sina despite it never coming up during the film. Probably not THE Cena, but an homage nonetheless. What I was a little surprised about was that I found many more Indian stories about the coconut than Polynesian stories, but the Indian stories are really good. Like this story about how the first coconut tree came to be. Once upon a time, there was an old sage who after years and years of practice obtained supernatural powers. He wanted to prove his powers, and knew a king who desired to reach heaven in his mortal body. This was typically a no-no. Only souls are allowed in heaven, the bodies stay behind. So the sage used his powers to make the king fly, and sent him straight into the sky where heaven was. He actually made it all the way to the god Indra's domain. Indra saw the king in his mortal body and was like, Yo, we have rules here. Get out and the king was sent plummeting back down to the earth. The sage was not happy about this. He had worked so hard to obtain godly powers, but if the king reached the ground, then he would have to accept defeat. So before the king reached the ground, the sage used his powers again to make him float in place. But that's the best he could do, because he obviously couldn't get him to heaven, and he didn't want to let him touch the ground. So he stuck him right there, and found a tall skinny pole to prop him up in the sky. Eventually, the pole turned into the slender trunk of the coconut tree, and the king's own head became the fruit. One more story about why the coconut has a face on it involves a very bad fisherman. The fisherman never caught any fish, and he was the laughingstock of his village. In the hopes of increasing his success, the man went to a magician to help him out. The magician gave him the ability to remove his head. At a glance, 
I can tell this is obviously the best way to be a better fisherman. But it did work out. The fisherman would wait until the villagers left the water, take off his head, and jump in the water. And apparently all the fish were just amazed by this headless swimmer. Some of them would swim right into his neck hole out of curiosity. And the man would swim back to shore, pull the fish out of his neck, put his head back on, and show the village all the fish he caught. One day, a little boy followed him to the water and saw him remove his head. As little boys do, he picked up the head and threw it in a bush. When the fisherman came back to shore, he could not find his head. And apparently this magic had a time limit, so he had to jump back in the water and transform into a fish. And when the little boy brought other villagers back to look at the weird head he had found, they instead found a tall tree with every fruit bearing this man's face. There are an endless amount of stories from India about the coconut. Stories about every god and their interaction with coconuts. Stories about rituals and sacrifices involving smashing a coconut as a symbol of destroying your own ego. And in fact, the first Chicken Little story about the sky falling comes from a story where a coconut falls on a rabbit's head, and he runs around telling everyone that the sky is falling and causing a panic. And all these stories from India and Polynesia are just the beginning. That's where the coconut got its start. From India, the coconut was traded west by none other than the Arab traders, the same dudes who handled the trading of exotic spices between Africa, Europe, and Asia. These merchants brought the coconut to Egypt as early as 2,000 years ago, but it wasn't quite as big as spices were. In the same container that you can fit a whole bunch of spice, you could probably only fit like 20 coconuts. Around the Middle Ages is where we see it trickling into Europe, the introduction of the coconut to Portugal by Vasco da Gama in the 16th century is where we first see its modern name come into usage. It probably took so long for Europe to really care about it because these trees aren't going to grow well in most of Europe, but the Europeans still saw this fruit's potential, mainly from its extensive uses. It was actually fairly popular among various nobilities to use coconut shells as containers for precious items until as late as the 19th century. And from Europe, it was taken to the Americas, this fact actually threw me for a loop. Of the two cultivars between Polynesian and Indian, which do you think was the genetic base for the coconuts growing in the Americas? I think I would have guessed Polynesian, but in most cases, it was the Indian, because of how they were brought over from the old world to the new. And now, in the modern day, coconuts are found along every coast from the Tropic of Cancer to the Tropic of Capricorn. Coconut is still iconic in culture to this day. Coconut oil has an incredible amount of uses, and coconut milk is essential to make just about any kind of curry. And in the places where curry comes from, coconut milk is just essential to the cuisine as a whole. Even in the US, coconut is so common to see in our candy and junk food. The candies with coconut in them are my least favorite, but that doesn't make them unpopular. I'm still getting around to the flavor and texture. Please do not attack me because I don't like Samoa Girl Scout cookies. Only chill vibes here on Island Time. And I've already mentioned tropical boozy drinks. I mentioned that coconut porter up in the Northwoods, but that's a little bit of an isolated example. Everyone's familiar with the pina colada. One of the chillest songs ever made starts off by wondering if you, the listener, like them. And there's countless other drinks made with coconut rum, where each sip transports you to that sandy happy place. Coconut playing key roles in religion isn't just something based on old tradition either. There was once a man from Vietnam whose name I can't pronounce, so I'm just going to refer to him as the Coconut Monk. This Coconut Monk was apparently studying chemistry when he decided he didn't want to do that anymore. 
can't say I blame him. So he ran off to the mountains and meditated on life for a few years, and he came up with something he wanted to believe in, some blend of Buddhism, Christianity, Hinduism, and Taoism, with one core element at its center, coconuts. Coconuts give us everything we need, food, shelter, happiness. So he ran away to an island and invited any who were tired of human suffering to follow him. The coconut would teach us to remove the three sources of human pain, words, thoughts, and body. And people were into it. This happened at the height of the communist takeover of Vietnam, and a lot of people were tired of all the violence and conflict and pain. 4,000 people decided to follow the ways of the coconut monk. Some well-known people were really into these ideas. You guys know the author, John Steinbeck? You know, Grapes of Wrath, Of Mice and Men. Tell me about the rabbits, George, John Steinbeck. His son was a follower of the coconut monk. This man actually tried to run for president of Vietnam in 1971. And sometimes I wonder what that country would be like if he had won. But eventually communism did win out, and the coconut monk was forced to disband his organization of faith. There are some who still follow the ways of the coconut, scattered folks here and there. Would you like to follow the ways of the coconut monk? You'd have to eat coconut exclusively, which may be a deal breaker for some who would otherwise find it alluring. But it's a nice thought. Many of my episodes leave me astounded at the idea that any one tree species can have such a huge impact on human culture around the world. I'll finish my research and think, this is the tree that would change our lives the most if it never existed. This tree is a quantifiable part of who we are. I feel that way again with the coconut. It's just unbelievable how trees keep doing this to me. Hold on to the chill vibes that coconuts give us for as long as you can. Let summer last just a little bit longer. In two weeks, we'll be accepting that the fall season is finally upon us. On October 19th, I'll be closing out my fruit tree series with the apple tree. We'll be talking about where this absolutely iconic fruit comes from, why there's so many different kinds of apples, and what makes apple pie so gosh darn American. Until then, take it easy. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their stuff on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. Wherever good music exists, they are there. My cover art is by Brittany Burnett. Find her incredible photography on Instagram at BoomerangBrit. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at My Favorite Trees, and get updates on future episodes and extra goodies. If you'd like to thank me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love. Give it a hug. Thank you.